minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Oh, 
6.30 in the morning, we say good morning from 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Good morning, my name is Nahum Siegel, and it's a pleasure to 
speak with you from the uh, confines of the <laughs> Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. I don't say confines in a negative sense. I mean it in the most cozy and wonderful atmosphere, especially when it's pouring outside the way it is right now. Nice to get <laughs> nice to get into the building and warm up a bit. Uh, JM in the AM on this Friday morning, March the 27th, day 7 in the month of Nissan. The year is 5775, Tafshin Ayin Hay. It's Erev Shabbos Tzav. Today is Erev Shabbos HaGadol. Could you imagine Shabbos HaGadol already? Pesach this coming Friday night, one week from tonight. The great holiday of Pesach begins. How incredible is that? Candle lighting on this Erev Shabbos HaGadol, 6.55. 6.55 official candle lighting time. Also, keep in mind that um, the difference, the uh, the number of hours different between the New York, New Jersey area and Jerusalem is now, and Israel, I should say, is now seven hours. Last night, Israel went ahead and, uh, well, literally went ahead and changed to daylight saving time or daylight savings time, whichever you prefer. And um, now it's a seven-hour difference, so if it's 6.31, it means it's 1.31 in the afternoon in the Holy Land right now. Speaking of the Holy Land, it was just amazing being there uh, for the early part of this week. Uh, I want to thank our hosts, uh, the JNF and their uh, amazing staff in Stay Road. I want to thank the folks at Deershoe uh, who gave us the opportunity to be at the... Uh, Yadaliao Stadium on, um, well, what was for us as JMNAM listeners, both Tuesday and Wednesday. Pretty cool day for us, all day Tuesday in Tel Aviv. And I thank everybody at Deershoe. And uh, my thanks to Mayor Furtick for sitting in yesterday as we were uh, transiting back to the U.S. And here we are on a Friday morning, and I thank you all for tuning in. Malcolm Holmline will join us. Weekly update coming up. Weather forecast is interesting. 42 degrees outside right now. About 30 degrees cooler than in Israel. <laughs> I'm telling you. In Yerushalayim on Wednesday night, did not even need a jacket. That's how amazing the weather was. Oh, unbelievable. Uh, so 42 here in this area. 87% humidity. Winds are north at 2 miles per hour. It's funny the winds are north at 2. My umbrella was all over the place this morning. I thought it was much windier than that. Anyway, morning rain. It is rough out there right now with a high of 51. Then tonight, partly cloudy, a low 36. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, a high temperature for Shabbos day, 40 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 72. Wow. We're at 42 here in Jersey City. Friday morning broadcast at JM and AM. Brand new Miami music coming up. We'll do that sometime between now and 9 a.m. We, of course, have Malcolm Honline who is the Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll join us about 7.40 for the weekly update, talk about the news of the week. That'll happen um, about 7.40 this morning here at JM in the AM. And plenty more between now and 9 o'clock on the stream all day long, of course, with an amazing Arab Shabbos music mix. Make sure to be tuned in all day long at jmintheam.org.
זה, יהי זה המקוים, נובל משכן לשולויים. Thank <laughs> you. 
J.M. and the A.M., that's from the uh, best of, uh, actually it's from the rest of Kalbach Shabbos. The rest of Kalbach Shabbos done by Struli Williger. That was the uh, follow-up to the Kalbach Friday Night CD here at J.M. and the A.M. Before that, you heard the uh, Baruch Kel Elyon done by Cole Salonika. Mordechai Shapiro and company, the Didim Choir with him at a chuppah done by the Aaron Teitelbaum Orchestra back in December. Ohad before that. An amazing rendition of Birch HaSabonim, also from a tremendous chuppah, um, or from a wonderful chuppah, I should say. <laughs> Shalom Aleichem was done by Benny Friedman here at JM in the AM. And just going back, cause I don't think we reviewed the music for you earlier, Shabbos Kodesh was from the Rabbi's Sons. Kol Zimra had Menucha V'Simcha. You heard the one done by the Shira Chadasha Boys Choir. We spoke to Nachman Seltzer in Israel, so I played that for him. Leviathan, Bowie Vishalom, and of course, Regesh Modani opening things up here at JM in the AM. Thanks for joining us on this Friday morning. It's the 27th of March, the seventh day of Nissan. Mazal Tov to Rochelle and Mark Zamek, who yesterday celebrated their big uh, 25th wedding. Excuse me, 26th, right? Yeah, 26th wedding anniversary on the 26th of March. We wish them the very best. A special thank you to all of our incredible listeners for making last week's fundraising marathon 2015, the success that it was. A, a tremendous thank you. If you didn't give, you could still give at jmnam.org at the very top of the page. But we achieved our goal, which is so wonderful. And we thank you for that so much. All because of our wonderful listeners. And um, we continue to uh, provide you the wonderful programming you get every single morning here at JM in the AM. Uh, nice to be back. Sorry to be away from the Holy Land, but good to be back in the studios of WFMU. My thanks to Mayor Furtick for taking care of yesterday's show during my absence. Much appreciated. Uh, I got a great day on the stream all day long with our Erev Shabbos music mix. Make sure to be tuned in on this Erev Shabbos Haggadol. Candle lighting at 6.55 on this Erev Shabbos. 6.55. And we are now in Israel on Daylight Saving Time. That's right. In Israel, we are now on Daylight Saving Time, so there's a seven-hour difference. It is 2 o'clock in the Holy Land. Keep that in mind, especially if you like to speak to people in Israel before Shabbat. Now you have, I guess, what we would call an extra hour, right? Seven-hour difference. Well, I don't know if I'd put it that way, but you know what I mean. Seven-hour difference. Malcolm Holmline will join us in the 7 o'clock hour. He's Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Malcolm Holmline. Weekly update about 7.40 Eastern Time this morning here at JM in the AM. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. You know one of the coolest things is about being in Israel right before Pesach? All the... Advertisements for Pesach. All the, all the suggestions that Israel's Madison Avenue has for what you should eat on Pesach and enjoy on Pesach was very funny and in many ways very serious. A lot of, a lot of great announcements about different products that were out, either classics or new ones for Pesach 5775. One of the benefits of being in Israel right before the big holiday. Very, very cool being in a country where where the focus is the upcoming holiday, and the holiday is ours. It's pretty amazing. 42 degrees, morning rain. It's really raining out there right now. A high temperature of 51. Clouds tonight, low 36. Clouds tomorrow, a high temperature of 40. 
Yerushalayim is officially at 72, and let me tell you, it's just beautiful there. We're at 42 degrees with rain here on Erev Shabbos HaGadol at JM in the AM. Facebook update page, Nachum Siegel Network. Check it out for all the posts from yesterday regarding the Barkan Winery and our amazing visit there from this past Wednesday. Galitzal Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday next to Jam then. Galitzal Ashashtang, Kan Shibel Karmi Mansur, in Mashakurachav. התרסקות המטוס הגרמני בזירת ההתרסקות באלפים ממשיכים במאמצים לזהות את הגופות. צוותי איתור וחילוץ ממשיכים למפות את זירת ההתרסקות, לאתר חלקים ולזהות את גופות 150 הנוסעים ואנשי הצוות שהיו בטיסה, ביניהם גם אנדריאס לוביץ, טייס המשנה שריסק את המטוס בכוונת תחילה. לצורך זיהוי הגופות נאספו דגימות DNA של קרובי המשפחה של הקורבנות, בשל נסיבות התאונה הקשות הרשויות בצרפת מעריכות שתהליך הזיהוי ייקח כמה ימים. ובתוך כך נמשכים החיפושים אחר הקופסה השחורה השנייה, ובעגורים נתוני הטיסה. זה היה הדיווחה של כתבתנו עופרי אשל. הותר לפרסום תושב מג'דל שמס מואשם בריגול חמור לטובת סוריה, כתבתנו אורנית פורן. כתב אישום שהוגש הבוקר בבית המשפט המחוזי בנצרת מייחס לסולימאן סודקי, תושב מג'דל שמס, 16 צעיפי אישום בגין ריגול, סיוע לאויב, מגע עם סוכן חוץ ותמיכה בארגון טרור. סודקי שריצה 28 שנים בכלא בגין עבירות ביטחוניות, אסף מודיעין רגיש אודות תנועות הצבא בגבול סוריה ובכירים בצה"ל, את המידע הרגיש שהעביר לגורמים בצבא סוריה, לעיתונאים זרים ושגרירים ברחבי העולם. בהולנד הפסקת חשמל משתקת את אמסטרדם וסביבתה. בשעה האחרונה חזר החשמל לנמל התעופה. כתבנו אלדר גילרן. בעקבות הפסקת החשמל שהחלה הבוקר באמסטרדם ובצפון הולנד בוטלו כל הטיסות בנמל התעופה בבירה הרביעי בגודלו באירופה. בשעה האחרונה שב החשמל לנמל התעופה בלבד, אך במקום עדיין מורגשים שיבושים. תקלות ועיכובים הורגשו גם במערך הרכבות ובשידורי הרדיו והטלוויזיה. הפסקת החשמל נגרמה מקצר בתחנת חשמל משנית הממוקמת בפרברי אמסטרדם. נגיף האבולה עובר שינויים גנטיים בקצב איטי מששוער תחילה, כתבתנו יערה שפירא. תשעה חודשים לאחר שפרצה המגפה, פרסם צוות של חוקרים בכתב העת סייאנס כי הנגיף משכפל את עצמו ועובר שינויים גנטיים בקצב דומה לזה שאובחן בהתפרצויות קודמות של האבולה, בניגוד להערכה הראשונית של הקהילה המדעית. משמעות הממצא היא שהחיסון שנמצא כעת בשלבי ניסוי אחרונים יהיה עמיד יותר. בחודשים האחרונים חלה ירידה משמעותית. בהתפשטות הנגיף שגבה את חייהם של יותר מעשרת אלפים בני אדם במערב אפריקה. תחזית מזג האוויר היום ומחר בבוקר שרבי ברוב אזורי הארץ ובשבת בערב התקררות בשירות המטאורולוגי מזהירים מפני רוחות חזקות בצפון ובהרי המרכז. ולסיום בנאסא נערכים למשימת החלל הארוכה בתולדותיה. כתבנו עומר קדרון. אסטרונאוט אמריקני ושני קוסמונאוטים רוסים ישגרו הלילה לתחנת החלל הבינלאומית, שם ישהו שנה שלמה ברציפות. כאשר ישובו לכדור הארץ במרס 2016, יהיה סקוט קיילי לאסטרונאוט נאסא ששהה הכי הרבה זמן בחלל, יותר מ-500 ימים בסך הכל. מטרת המסע הנוכחי היא לבחון את ההשפעות הגופניות והנפשיות של שהות ממושכת בחלל, לקראת היעד של נאסא להנחית אדם על המאדים בשנת 2030. אלה החדשות שעורכת טל יחזקאלי, ביצוע טכני, אבי כהן.
There it is, brand new from Miami. Title track, Yerachmiel Begun, Miami Boys Choir. They've announced their big plans for uh, Cholamoid, and we'll discuss it, of course, with Yerachmiel this upcoming week here at JMNAM as we start to get into what's happening in our community for the upcoming Pesach holiday. Unbelievable. By the way, our big Pesach special is Tuesday. That's the day you'll be able to open up. We'll be able to open up the phones, and you'll be able to ask questions about everything you need to know about the uh, Koshal Pesach products for this coming upcoming ho- for this coming holiday. It is Erev Shabbos Hagadol, Erev Shabbos Parshas Tzav, candle lighting at 6.55, seven-hour difference now between us and the Holy Land. They changed the clock, quote-unquote, this morning in Israel. Lots of rain out there right now with a high of 51. We're at 42 degrees, expecting a relatively cool weekend here in these parts. <laughs> it was 72 degrees in Yerushalayim and... It was just beautiful there the other night, I'll tell you that much. I want to thank everybody who hosted us in Israel. Uh, good to be back here. And a big thank you to uh, Mayor Furtick for sitting in yesterday for the Thursday morning edition of JM in the AM. Much appreciated. JM in the AM on this Erev Shabbos Hagadol as we continue with uh, Ellie Marcus.
The Wine Rib Brothers with Me'en Olam Haba. Ellie Marcus before that with David Melech Israel. Brand new, your Achmiel Begun Miami Boys Choir. The album is out. It's pretty amazing. That's called Ut Ut. I played you the title track to open up the 7 o'clock hour. Friday morning, seven-hour difference between us and the Holy Land, now that Israel's on daylight saving time as of last night. It's Arab Shabbos Haigadol, Shabbos Haigadol drushes. Uh, that is the custom. And Rabbi Yudin will deliver his uh, Shabbos Haigadol message to us coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Looking forward to that. Candle lighting at 6.55 on this Friday, Erev Shabbos Parshas Tzav, Erev Shabbos Haigadol. And... Uh, Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Big thank you to all of our amazing hosts in Israel. Big thank you to Mayor Furtick for taking over yesterday. Great to be back here next week. A lot about Pesach. We have our big Pesach products program on Tuesday with a big thank you to our friends at the Orthodox Union and their Kashrus department. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday, we'll concentrate on Kolomoid events that are going on, of course. Get a chance to uh, speak to some of the people with the major events out there and uh then believe it or not a week from tonight i know it's hard to believe a week from tonight the holiday of pesach unbelievable seder night one week from tonight how amazing and incredible is that looking forward to a wonderful yom tov for all bezrat hashem morning rain with a high temperature of 51 clouds tonight low 36 clouds tomorrow a high only 40 degrees, 72 in Yerushalayim, 42 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM and the AM. Malcolm Holmline is going to join us. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We speak with him about 7.40 this morning for the weekly update right here at JM and the AM.
More brand new from Miami, Yerachmiel begun Miami Boys Choir in Vehagefen off the brand new Ut Ut CD. We'll have a chance to talk about that with Yerachmiel this upcoming week before Pesach. Friday morning, JM in the AM. Before that, the great Ben Sionchenko with Tzormi Shalom. Naomi Nachman is doing a great brand new program today, and I give her credit for that. Uh, Naomi Nachman at 9 o'clock this morning, right after JM in the AM, presents Table for Two. This week, Shifra Klein of Joy of Kosher Magazine, Elizabeth Kurtz of GourmetKosherCooking.com, Shmilly Grunstein, owner of Petite Shell, a smashing new coffee and croissant house on the Upper East Side. That's Naomi's language, by the way, smashing new. <laughs> Very exciting since she's from Australia. What do you expect? An exciting show, including food tasting, demo with Shifra, and plenty more. It's happening at 9 o'clock this morning on our stream at jmnam.org. Uh, you can see the whole thing at denachomsegel.com starting at 9 a.m. On the homepage. Big thank you to our friends, the Barkan Winery. We had an amazing day there on Wednesday, and I thank everybody who tuned in yesterday afternoon for this show. I laugh only because there were some pretty funny moments, I must say, but it was an amazing visit to Israel's largest winery. And I thank our friends at Kedem for making it possible, and our friends now at Barkan as well, who were so gracious. And a big shout-out to Jay Booksbaum, the number one kosher wine sommelier in the world. And somebody who's going to be with us during our Pesach show to answer all your questions about uh, mavushal, non-mavushal, sweetness, non-sweetness, red, white, etc., etc. He is the subject of an article that is in, I believe, today's. Is it today's? Yeah, today's Wall Street Journal on the facts and fallacies of kosher wine. And sure enough, Jay Booksbaum, Director of Education for the Bayonne, New Jersey-based Royal Wine Corporation, um, is in fact the... Uh, is in fact the uh, focus of attention in the article. He really discusses a whole bunch of stuff in it. So a, a big shout-out to Jay Booksbaum, not only recognized by us and the Nachum Siegel Network, by being recognized also by the... Uh, also by also being recognized by the um, Wall Street Journal. How do you like that? So there you have it. Erev Shabbos Parshas Tzav, Erev Shabbos Hagadol, candle lighting at 6.55... Uh, Malcolm Holmine coming up. We'll do our weekly update and plenty more, of course, here on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Shabbos Hagadol words from Rabbi Yudin coming up in the 8 o'clock hour as we get set for a big Shabbos Hagadol. Hey, Shabbos Hagadol after all, right? Isn't that big? It certainly is. And um, this is, of course, eight-ton cats at JM and the AM. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Hi, good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos.
J.M. in the A.M. Avremel, that's Avram Freed with Shalom Aleichem. Eitan Katz, Bowie Shalom. One of the brand new ones from Miami. We'll be speaking with Yerachmiel Begun next week about the brand new album, of course. That's called Inve Hagefen. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Tzav. It's Erev Shabbos Hagadol, believe it or not. Candle lighting at 6.55, a seven-hour difference between us and the Holy Land right now as Israel has gone into daylight savings time, so uh, keep that in mind. Great to be back. My thanks to Mayor Furtick for taking over yesterday in uh, the transition show from when we uh, did our shows from Israel and getting back here to JM in the AM and our studios in Jersey City. Big thank you to our JM in the AM family, the extended family, in this case, the very extended family of so many listeners who came through during our JM in the AM 2015 fundraising marathon. A great success, thank God. Many of you, I'm sure, have seen on the web how we achieved our goal um, relatively in a very short amount of time after we left the air last Friday morning. I think by Monday morning it was already uh, at the goal. So a big thank you to everybody who made it a success. It is much appreciated, and we'll continue to provide great programming for you through the morning and, of course, on our stream all day long at jmnam.org. It's Shabbos HaGadol, and a reminder that Rabbi Goldwasser's Shabbos HaGadol Drasha happens in Brooklyn, New York, uh, at the Shulamis School on East 14th Street between Avenues L and M. The entrance is on Chestnut Avenue and East 14th Street. It happens tomorrow starting at 5.30, 5.30 p.m. The uh, topic is Emunascha Balelos, Emuna at all times. All right, Goldwasser tomorrow, 5.30 at the Shalama School in Brooklyn, New York, East 14th between Avenues L&M. Make sure to note that and go and enjoy as uh, many, many will. I can tell you that much. A big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldview.com who continue to enthusiastically encourage their readers to both uh, listen to us and support us here at JM and the AM. If you want to check out thousands of amazing articles about what's happening in Israel and the Jewish world, you can check out JewishWorldReview.com and even print some out before Shabbos that your uh, reading needs are taken care of and your educational needs are taken care of on a long Shabbos afternoon. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us Fridays at this time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, good morning and welcome back to you from your trip. I appreciate that. I was, uh, d- during the uh, tail end of our fundraising marathon, I started each show by saying, we have great news. The Israeli election is over. <laughs> it, wasn't no, it, a, isn't. <laughs> it wasn't a matter of who won. It was a matter of finally getting it behind us. Right, but... And a lot of people in Israel, as you know, felt the same way. Malcolm, to a degree, I, I think it's a little easier or better, or I'm not sure what word to use. Maybe you could help me out, that it, it was more of a definitive Conclusion. I know nothing is definitive when it comes to Israeli elections and politics, but more of a definitive conclusion than the tie that everybody was expecting a week or so before the election. Do you agree with that? That it was remarkable what the turnout was? Well, the, the nature, the real turnout? The turnout was amazing, though. The turnout, that's going to say, the first thing is that the turnout was remarkable. I think almost a million people voted the could, which is the record you have. Uh, also, some remarkable results that don't get attention. There are 17 Arabs in the Knesset. 13 are members of the United List, but there are four others, including one in, in Likud, which nobody says when they talk about Netanyahu and the, and the party. Um, 30 women, um, many other results in terms of uh, 71 or almost 72 percent uh, turnout. 
And as I said many times in the show, you know, Israelis are notorious for telling the truth to pollsters and then lying at the polls. So it, it is not predictable. Also, because you have segments of the population that are underestimated, they don't the periphery vote, other votes that people don't. Those who who do the assessments don't necessarily take down correctly. So it's not that there was necessarily a major shift. Also, this time you had twenty percent undecided going into the election, who broke not as people anticipated more towards the the, the Zionist camp uh, side, but to BB, and that was I think primarily. Uh, votes that are, are were based on the security issue. Right. Well, first of all, what's amazing is, as an addendum, as an amendment to your statement about telling the truth to the pollsters and lying at the polls, in this case, they did one thing at the polls and then lied to the exit pollers, it seems, which is, another, which is an even more outrageous thing when you think about it. They went ahead and voted and then completely fooled those who were assessing the election throughout Election Day. I can tell you that during the day they, they knew that they had pretty good assessments. The ones that I were getting, that I was getting during the day, um, pretty close to right. But, but yeah, but every exit poll as it was announced, they were saying them publicly. Yeah, but, but and they're not allowed to. I think understood. But every exit poll once the Israeli polls closed had a tie between Labor and Likud. No, I don't think so. I think that every that, news source we saw in the first two hours after the yeah, polls that closed. was the news source interpretations. It wasn't necessarily what the actual polls. Yeah, but news source interpretations in the U.S. usually get it much closer. Usually get it, you know, much closer to correct than the Israelis did this time. And so I would surmise, and again, you know better, but I would surmise that they they literally lied to the exit pollers in many cases in terms of who they actually went ahead and voted for. Or, yeah, but again, it depends on the disbursement. For instance, you know that uh, votes, let's say, in places like Borough Park, are, are not counterproportionate to their numbers as would Manhattan voters, right. which is often why American pollsters get things wrong mm-hmm. uh, or, or draw conclusions that are wrong. It's not necessarily a prediction of who wins, but we'll say that X percentage of Jews voted a certain way. Well, they don't know how the Jews voted. First of all, it's too small a sample. Second of all, right. you know, they, they don't go to communities that may not vote the way that, that they think. And I think that that is also true in regard to the Israeli population. Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, that they, for instance, don't count the periphery. They don't go into the Shtachim uh, very much to, to count that vote. That vote shifted, some from, from Bennett to Likud, some right. other ways that, you know, do, do, are not reflected then in an exit poll or in the polling. Right. Uh, but back to my original point, which I don't think I, I, I uh, communicated well. Uh, I, I just felt because you had warned us that this would be a weeks-long, if not months-long process once the election was over, mm-hmm. I, I thought just in general it was better to have this gap between the two major parties instead of the tie that everybody was predicting. It, it would make it easier to form a government, maybe spend less time on it during these weeks. Anything to that at all? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's much better to have a clear outcome. It'd be much better if you had one party that gets a majority and then you a minority and you didn't have also the disbursement and uh, the loss of votes, which I think is also uh, very sad that 120,000 people almost were, were disenfranchised because right. they voted for a party that didn't meet the, uh, the threshold, know, the threshold uh, and, and came so close. The... Um, but I think you're right. I think that is... Uh, How long will it take him to form a government now? If ever. Uh, well, it will still be a really long, painstaking process? It's it's certainly painful process. 
and painstaking it is. Uh, I, I will tell you yet, don't be surprised if there aren't major shifts back and forth and back and forth between who with whom they're going to make a government and between the different parties. There's a, a lot of sensitivity, a lot of um, uh, differences of, of, of view right now. Uh, Bennett is saying that he wouldn't mind being in the opposition. He wouldn't resist being in the opposition. I think right now the 67 votes are going to be are, are, are a likely formula, but it's uh, going to be hard to cobble it together. Everybody has a lot of demands this time, and they know that each of them can leverage Netanyahu because without them, or without the, the, some of the smaller parties, he doesn't have the 67. Right. So despite Bennett's uh, p- uh, p- position that he might stay on, in the opposition, right now we're expecting that Likud, Kahlon, Bennett would be together and eventually with the smaller parties get to the 67 seats. That would be the expectation now, right. but it's not an assurity. What has he... I saw on Israeli television the conjecture of who's who in the government, meaning you know who will serve in what ministership, uh, has Naftali Bennett been offered one of those? Well, I saw the Rabbanim uh, 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 of told me he should take education. He wanted the defense ministry. Right. Uh, I don't think he's going to get it, but he was offered a package. It will it will change many times yet before they're finalized. So the, the, as we see the uh, predictions of each one, it's all going to shift. And yes. Okay. Uh, how unfair was uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu as many, including some in Bennett's camp, and certainly people here in the United States, uh, to utilize the uh, the fear of um, Arabs going to the polls in droves to use that as a uh, as a way to increase voter turnout and especially voter turnout for Likud. Well, at the time that he said it, it it, it was true that the Arab vote was very strong, and and maybe even according to. An expert I had spoken to that morning, he was saying that it, it looks like it was greater than the Jewish turnout at that time. Um, the Jews, many of the uh, Jewish Israelis tend to vote later in the day. Uh, obviously, the, the Prime Minister's articulation of it caused a lot of problems, and he has walked it back, including yesterday, and he met with Arab leaders afterwards. Uh, I, I think what he was trying to say was that this is the opposition to him and to to uh, the kind of government he wanted to form, uh, I don't believe it was racist. And, and if you look at the record of Netanyahu's government, uh, he poured hundreds of millions of shekels into the Arab, Israeli Arab communities. He did a lot in terms of educational assistance, other areas. Uh, he had a, he had special people appointed in his office to oversee it. And, and in fact, uh, this is one, an area where they implemented. Uh, a lot of things uh, in that in that community. So the uh, you know the portrayal was unfair, but his uh, his comments it, it it almost appeared as if he was panicked into into these. Uh, yeah, I mean, on top of that, he declared there would never be a Palestinian state under his watch. That also seemed to be more of a panic move. Well, yes, I think the comments he made. But right. again, there, if you look, you see that he said today. I think it was unfortunate the comment for knows and the price that they paid for it and him having to uh, come out uh, over and over again to, to clarify and to reassert his commitment to the two-state solution and to all of the processes that, uh, that we know. And he knew what kind of backlash he'd get from Washington. I'm not sure. That, again, I'm not sure whether he contemplated fully what the uh, implications and how his words would be uh, used. 
Look, if people say things in American campaigns, too. I think if we went back to President Obama's campaigns or George Bush's campaigns, people say things in election campaigns that they don't uh, carry out. And often in the heat of the moment, we'll say things for which they have to apologize. Hey, in Israel, we're held to a higher standard. I speak like I'm somebody in Israel. <laughs> that's not the point here. To, I know. Uh, is, uh, is that, uh, I mean, it does have real consequences. And as you see how it's being used by European countries, by others, they, they raise it at the United Nations all the time. They say we have to intervene now. The well, some, some could argue that he should have been more careful, frankly. He should have been much more careful. Yeah. But he did say today, he said under the meaning under the current circumstances, et cetera. Right. So he can explain it away, but, but the damage... It's why we say uh, that wise people are careful with their words because right. they can come back to haunt and especially in an era like this. And if somebody who wants to exploit something, when the media wants to go after somebody or others, uh, you don't see the same thing. You know, Khamenei said on, on the Friday prayers, death, somebody called out death to America. He said, yes, death to America, death to America. He bombs uh, uh, mock-ups of American ships. He, his deputy says we won't stop fighting until the uh, Shia, the uh, Arab uh, Muslim flag flies over the White House. Many other things, and yet there's no accountability because and and nobody is screaming and yelling when we're negotiating. In fact, all during this time in here, you have the the prime minister put under this kind of scrutiny, and I think they went too far, and it caused a backlash. In our community and outside, yeah, no question. Even amongst the members of Congress, yeah. who said enough was enough. You know, he apologized. He did what he could. There was nothing else. He would, would he swallow those words? He would have, and he said so. So, you know, time to move on. And and the fact is, but it's being exploited in in really specific ways. And maybe if they had people who some who wanted and who have it in for Israel, um, found this a very useful uh, lever. To pull and to be able then to go far beyond the issue and and talk about imposition of a deal, talk about going to the United Nations for, for things, uh, which would be a sure death knell to any chance of the right. negotiation. Uh, one of the things I noticed on Israeli television is the and again it's the media, of course. I don't know if it reflects exactly what the uh, you know citizenry is feeling, uh, but there's great concern about the Obama Netanyahu relationship. You'd think that that is the number one major issue coming out of this election if it can be repaired. Uh, first of all, is it true? That this was the longest, I don't know if this was a myth that was being spread around. This was the longest that a president of the United States ever took to congratulate a, a winning uh, party, a winning, uh, uh, you know, prime minister in an election. Did you hear that? That this was the longest it was ever taken to, to place a phone call? You know, again, this is the kind of thing that everybody darshans if, if the, if you hadn't had the controversy and he didn't call till then, so he said that they, they usually don't call until they wanted to wait until the president actually designated Netanyahu. To do it, they did it earlier because of the public exposure and pressure. Uh, Kerry had called him the pre- uh, prime minister right away. Uh, would it have been more natural to call early? Yes, but does he call most leaders who get elected? I doubt it. And uh, again, uh, yeah, but when you run, I think that the president was using every opportunity to to stick it to, to the prime minister. This clearly was an agenda. This was not haphazard because of the. The continuing things, the, the other steps, the release of the information about Israel's nuclear program, the, there are other things that, that uh, took place that, that were released, that were said, uh, which are troubling. Right. Well, you know, when you run against the Prime Minister of Israel, people expected the concession phone call to be earlier. You know what I mean? Not the concession. I, I, 
You get my point. <laughs> it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listener sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Big thank you to those who made our 2015 fundraising marathon a great success as of our big celebration day last Friday. We'll keep providing amazing programming for you every single morning and, of course, all through the day on our stream at jmtheam.org. So to close out this part of the conversation, essentially as much, and it's so funny because remember how many weeks we spoke about how security issues had basically no place in the election campaign, and it ends up that security issues put Lee Kud in the leadership role yet again. Right? Basically, the Israeli electorate, switched, many of them switched their vote because the security issue was presented the way it was by Prime Minister Netanyahu at the very end of the campaign. And also because perhaps they feel that, you know, there really wasn't, and and there wasn't much difference, by the way, on Iran, on some of these other key issues between the major parties. Right. I mean, it's a more... They never addressed it, many of them. But I think that that the negotiations with Iran, I think some of the things that had occurred, the increasing destabilization, what happened in the Golan now. Uh, these are things that are, are you know, shake up Israelis. And the bottom line is when they came to the polling booth, many of them said, thought about the, the security issue, that the economic issue was dominant, but but for, for up until the very end, and many people disillusioned, I think that the Prime Minister will address it because he saw that it was key about uh, housing issues, mm-hmm. about the cost of living, other things, and he said this uh, just yesterday again that this was going to be a key focus of the uh, of his new government and being a prime minister of all the people and all the other things that and seeking peace etc so again his agenda has been affected because of what he said and what he did but the core issues remain the same but israelis look at the at the region they don't just look at the immediate situation and they saw what was happening uh, vis-a-vis Iran. They saw what's happening in the build-up uh, around them of ISIS and other things. And that issue then was successfully communicated that if you want security, I'm the one who can deliver it. Right. And we've got to talk about the Iran nuclear uh, negotiations, which we will in a minute. Uh, many of our listeners have pointed out uh, really through this morning about Max Boot and his article in the uh, Wall Street Journal. It's entitled Obama's Mideast Realignment, and the summary says on top, his new doctrine, downgrade ties to Israel and the Saudis while letting Iran fill the vacuum left by the United States retreat. What do you think of this uh, theory? Well, I have a lot of respect for Max Boot. He's a, he's a very astute uh, observer, and I think people should read the article seriously. Um that uh, the um, you know this is obviously very complicated, and this takes a long time to explain what's happening vis-a-vis Iran. But it's clear that uh, the reports have been out there for a long time that the administration, and there have been statements by people in the administration that they see Iran as a potential platform for the Middle East. Here, Iran talks about. Uh, during the time we were off the air last week about the Iran plateau. They talk about Baghdad as their capital, and many people are observing that the process that we have followed now vis-a-vis Iraq is essentially turning over the keys to them, that we're bombing right. their enemies, ISIS, right. uh, but, but the, and it's Iran militia, Iran-backed Shiite militia that are, are uh, taking over cities and are, are pushing, even challenging uh, the, the Sunni population there. But broader than that, that plateau 
as they said, goes to Damascus, goes to Lebanon, it goes to Hamas in, in Gaza, and it goes to Yemen, and today to Sudan and, and the Sudan uh, and uh, Libya, and etc. There is a major shift taking place, and there is a feeling of the absence of the American presence. It's the reason why the Arabs, and I think I mentioned it to, to you when we were on the air two weeks ago, or a week and a half ago, that that. CC's remark about creating an Arab army mm-hmm. and that it, working with the Saudis and others was a real issue and that people should take that seriously. We see it already being being exercised today in Yemen, <clears throat> which, as you remember, we talked about on this program for many months before the Houthis took Sana. We could have stopped them easily with with uh, uh, with strikes by uh, by uh, drones and uh, etc. And now they took another major city, correct? They took. They've taken the third largest city. They, they are, but they are on the move. And now, uh, uh, very belatedly, <coughs> there are steps being taken to challenge. Now, the people should know the Houthis are wholly owned and armed by the, the Iranians. The day before yesterday, a ship docked in in, um, in in Yemen and unloaded 180 tons of weapons. Plus, they're building them other kind of uh, equipment, and people who saw it in Al-Salif, which is in western Yemen, they saw the Iranian boat and this endless supply of, of weapons. They've been providing them with the uh, weapons and support and financial support till now. This was the proxy war, is the proxy war, between Saudi Arabia and uh, Iran, and uh, Iran but, right. but also a war with Egypt. And the Egyptians said, we will bomb if they close the Straits at Balma Mandab, which is a very critical entrance and for them, for shipping from the Suez, but from the Indian Ocean, Persian Gulf, etc. Right. So people shouldn't dismiss what happens in Yemen. It, I've said it all along that it was right. critical. This is exactly what we anticipated would happen. Well, the I mean, for people like me to easily understand this, what Iran has basically done with Hezbollah and Hamas and you know all the groups that are you know terrorizing Israel over all these years, essentially they're Iran's proxy. That's what they're trying to do is create a proxy state in Yemen, right? Same basic concept, correct? We're aiding Iran-backed uh, forces to take to Crete. We're taking, we backed uh, the, these forces. We've allowed them because we wouldn't. We bombed Al Qaeda in in Yemen, but we wouldn't bomb ISIS, which is I mean uh, Houthis, who are a ragtag group. Now ISIS is there as well with terrorist organization. They blew up the mosques. Uh, if you remember, 135 people killed uh, last weekend. The a Houthi presence in Yemen is Iran's presence in Yemen. Really, right? in Iran right. presence. It's the proxy wars, I said. They right. want to take over. It's part of the expansion of their caliphate. Of, of uh, uh, And they say we control for the first time four Arab capitals. Who does Saudi Arabia look to to prevent this? Or, or do they want to get involved themselves and try they to... They are mil- doing it. They are... They, militarily. They, together with a ten-nation coalition, they say, but it's primarily Egypt, Jordan, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, maybe Kuwait. Uh, even Qatar may join them in this particular battle. It's not clear, but at least we'll be, be more neutral um, to go after the Houthis. There are no troops on the ground, but they're bombing them. They today they bombed this morning. Uh, groups. There are going to be a lot of civilian uh, casualties. I think already more than two dozen. What does the White House say about what's going on in Yemen? So we are giving tactical or uh, intelligence support to the uh, to the forces who are fighting there. I don't know if it'll have a spillover to the to the talks, but it it should because Iran is showing its aggressive designs, country after country, allowed to continue. We see them much more aggressive, and we have to talk about the Golan because it's a, another aspect of the same thing. Uh, Iran's activities 
should be shaking everybody up. The the and the fact that at the negotiations we're we're weakening our, our positions when we should be toughening everything. Up, the you know the, they said in fact uh, uh, Iranian officials said uh, that the attack on of Houthis in, in Yemen will expand across the border into the eastern province of Saudi Arabia, which is where the oil is, but where they have the large Shiite population. They say it again and again. They tell us what they're going to do. People don't take them seriously. It's the same lesson uh, of history that we've seen so often. And we, we drop the ball on it. The, the Iranians are expanding their sphere of influence, and we seem to be saying that this is okay. Right. Um, and how the Arabs certainly interpret it. And if there was such a thing as publicly strengthening ties, because any tie I describe now has to be done privately for obvious reasons, then Egypt and Saudi Arabia, Jordan would certainly, or, or, or might certainly, be strengthening ties with Israel for the very reasons you say. Because they are assuming that Israel is the only one who eventually is going to be able to take care of Iran. That is the assumption they've been working on all along, although they, I think that there is less of that assumption than uh, you know than we saw in the past, but the uh, uh, you know there are there are clearly reports about some cooperation or some interchanges, this maybe intelligence or whatever that that is taking place. But you're seeing for the first time the Arabs taking control of their own fate and exercising it uh, out of frustration in part, out of the anger at the West and the, and the lack of what they see the response. You know, Petraeus said it right. He said Iran is part of the problem, not the solution. And right. others have said it too. And I think uh, Max Boot's comments uh, outline it, reference that as well. All right. Um, uh, Assad in Syria this Sunday night on 60 Minutes will say that uh, he welcomes the United States' participation in negotiations to end the civil war in Syria. Uh, why would he say that publicly? What he's really saying is that he wants to play a role in the negotiations because the United States said he has no role, but. You know, they criticized Netanyahu for flip-flopping, but we saw Secretary Kerry one day said that Assad should be part of the talks, and the next day the White House said Assad has no, has no role in the talks because of what others feel. So this is an attempt on Assad's part to make himself relevant to to the process. And the question is, does, his re, does he remain in the ultimate outcome, or do they negotiate some exit for him? Uh, the Iranians have said that in any solution he has to stay in power. The Russians back him strongly. The talks are going to take place in Russia. So I wouldn't anticipate any major breakthrough or outcome. They, they are feeling the pressure. Remember, both Iran and Russia are hurt badly by the drop in oil. So the, the continued need to, to extend themselves and provide uh, assistance is, uh, is a bigger and bigger drain. Um, uh, they also, everybody uh, is looking at the overall situation and the, the continued destabilization of the region. And Assad, is, who controls, uh, you know, 20% of the country, 30% of the country, uh, they made a little bit of progress recently, but by and large, his troops are, are on the defensive. And if it weren't for the backing of IRGC and Hezbollah, and others would he would have been out a long time ago. Hmm. Uh, I just read about oil prices going up because of what's happening in Saudi Arabia, Yemen, etc. Is that going to affect oil prices for consumers in the United States? Not, it's, uh, the impact will be minimal, but the uh, but it is true that prices will go up. I think it's temporary because I think people will see that this is not going to affect uh, the production uh, by and large anywhere. Uh, certainly not uh, for the United States. 
whenever there's unrest, in, and especially in areas where you have oil production, um, it, it, uh, it affects, it's very sensitive to oil prices, especially when they're down as dramatically as they are. But I haven't heard anybody of the oil experts predicting that there will be any rebound uh, of significance now. Malcolm, did Israel spy on U.S. negotiations with Iran? So, uh, <laughs> Excuse I, me? No, I, I don't know what I said. That, uh, um, they said that they did not spy on the United States. It has been the policy of Israel since the power affair not to spy on Israel. I believe that they did not spy. That doesn't mean they haven't got intelligence on, on Iran. And the Iranians talk. It's part of the issue that people are more, always say to me, how did you know this and that? Because people talk, they tell things, and they, we, we got reports all during the night about the talks in Geneva from the, that they started at 10.08, not at 10 o'clock, as reported, and give, telling us what people have for lunch. And uh, during the night, there are people there who are uh, Twittering and, and sending reports about uh, increased concessions, and especially the concessions that are being reported now on the PMD, which is passing the uh, military dimensions, and people will say again, that it's technical. It's not technical. It means the verification will be impossible or, right. or much more difficult. By the way, I just checked with our high school students here. The verb is uh, tweeting, Malcolm. That would be the verb. Not twittering, but tweeting, rather. Would so be that's the, the other system. Be, uh, it's the 27th of March. Wasn't there supposed to be some type of conclusion to these Iran negotiations by now? Well, first it was 24, 27. It's the 31st of March. I told you that that was the anniversary of the date, but it was really it's really the 31st, and the likelihood is that we will not get a written document that if there is an agreement, and I don't know that all the things that we just uh, uh, talked about, and especially the fact that Congress reacted immediately, a 100 to 0 vote in the Senate, there are 10 amendments that were introduced. There are all sorts of resolutions about reimposing sanctions and demanding uh, full disclosure, etc. That, that this is a critical issue that uh, we are postponing, supposedly, uh, action uh, that is to disclose all of their past activities when they began. Why is that essential? Because then you have to know, to in order to be able to measure it, to be able to counter it, to be able to have transparency and investigations, you need to know this information. It has to be disclosed. It can't be clandestine operation. of talking about allowing allowing Fordo now to continue that this the centrifuge will spin, but they won't spin uranium. They'll they'll reprocess something else. But once you leave everything intact. They cheated all along, and as Ali Heinen had said, if they're not, who was the former chief inspector at the IEA, International Atomic Energy Agency, if they do not have a clandestine operation, a secret operation, then it'll be the first time in 20 years that they didn't. So what the IEA told us in, in Vienna is that it's not the places we know about. It's not what we don't know about the places we know it's the places we don't know about that worry us. Yeah. And they don't have the resources, they don't have the manpower, they don't have the technical abilities to really do the kind of surveillance that, that we're all talking about. It's interesting because I don't know at this point what is holding up an American uh, you know, conclusion to the negotiations with Iran. I mean, what, what, what could... Well, France is, because France is taking a much tougher line. The Iranians have not agreed to certain things. There are still... Uh, uh, things that separate them. Um, I mean, this idea that somehow there was a fatwa, which the president again made reference to, though nobody, including the fact-checker at the Washington Post, could come up with any evidence that people have reviewed all the fatwas that were uh, issued, meaning the religious rulings by Khamenei, which allegedly said we, you know, came out against developing nuclear weapons. 
no, nobody has been able uh, uh, to find it. And the head of the IA, Amano, said there's been little headway in the, in the, some of the things that they know, and especially about the military ambitions. And if we made a concession on that, I think Congress will react very heavily uh, to to that. And we've already, as I said, pointed to some of the signs. Uh, so there are are details, there are things that are holding it up, but the perception, at least, especially in the Arab world, is that the West keeps moving, the P5 plus 1, especially the U.S., is, keeps moving, and the Iranians hold tight, they make some slight concessions, but nothing that really undermines their ability. And the fact is that, as somebody told me last night, it, it, it's more of an arms control agreement we don't deal with the regional problems. We don't deal with their all their activities and terrorism. We right. don't. It doesn't address any of the other issues. And even on this, it doesn't dismantle anymore. It contains. And I think that that all the promises, you know, the initial Security Council resolutions. And the danger here is that they will not go to Congress, but they could go to the UN, to the Security Council, and get uh, a vote on on this agreement and an executive agreement it doesn't have to go to the senate right. but it can go to the un you get passage of it so it has a force in international law supposedly and uh, you know congress will then look at sanctions and the europeans will be lifting sanctions right. and the europeans will be running after the the money from uh, from iran the the congressional approval is essential uh, the congressional approval or disapproval is essentially irrelevant it, yes it depends on the nature of the agreement although administration leaders said over the last few days that there w- it would come to the people, we'll bring it to Congress, well, of course we're going to review it. I don't think that they're going to review it, because I'm not sure that the details will be worked out. They may go for a framework agreement, meaning that the March 31st deadline is too soon, and Kerry already said today that, you know, it doesn't have to be by then. Uh, we c- you know, Remember, this is the third extension of the talks. So we're going to do more extension. In the meantime, they buy more time. They're operating under the JPOA, the joint proposal, the agreement. Uh, their sanctions largely remain in place, but there is an erosion. And the more time they get, the more time they can do still doing their research and development. It's another issue that wasn't uh, covered in the agreement, which means that they can develop the next and the next and the next generation of centrifuges. The ballistic missile program is not covered. Weaponization is not covered. They, they say they will not dismantle the uh, uh, heavy water plant. So it seems to me there are a lot of issues, and if we're not going to address those issues, then these talks will, will not have produced an outcome that will give any sense of security. Yeah, well. Jordan already signed a $10 billion deal with Russia to build nuclear reactors. Uh, Saudi Arabia contracted for 15 uh, reactors, and many more are going to do the same. Who can blame them? I mean, if uh, you're in that situation, everybody's going. Yeah. Nobody's going to want to be left behind. No question about it. And they're they're very much afraid, and they see the reality of Iran's ambitions. And if you, you know that yesterday Erdogan, the crazy man from Turkey, who has his own aspirations to rebuild the Ottoman Empire, attacked Iran, with whom they had in the past been aligned, um, talking about their aspirations to, to create hegemony in the region and to take over the region. Uh, so the, I mean, there's no one who doesn't talk about it, who doesn't uh, doesn't have a fear, and the Europeans should be should be really scared because the the missile program that they developed is um, is it, it, it can today target much right. of uh, uh, of Europe. And, and we see, and we see, 160 congressmen send a letter to the president reminding them that uh, permanent sanctions relief. 
as part of a deal, it, it would would require new legislation from Congress and saying they're going to hold it up and you know holding the administration uh, to account. All right, we got to run, uh, Rabbi Yudin's uh, Shabbos Agudel words coming up. Uh, before we wrap up, Malcolm, we lost Ambassador Yehuda Avner this week. How about a message to the youth of our community about the impact that one man can have on Jewish history? Well, I hope all of them will honor his memory by reading uh, the Prime Minister's, and you see the role that somebody who came out of, I think, B'nai Akiva and was uh, uh, somebody who wore a yarmulke throughout his career uh, and uh, worked with the different Prime Ministers, earned their respect and admiration, uh, and we expect extend the condolences to his family, especially to the Sables. Uh, and the uh, the role that he played, I think, is is uh, will still be written about, and people should read the obituaries about, you know, how significant uh, his place, not as out front. And he saw himself, unlike sometimes people who surround, uh, you know, leaders, uh, who can't distinguish with who's the leader and who's not. <laughs> He he knew, and that was part of his effectiveness. No question. Uh, in, in during his career. No question. Uh, Malcolm, thank you so much. Next week it's Erev Pesach. We will conduct a weekly update, and we look forward to it. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Good Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents, major American Jewish organizations. I don't know where Malcolm will be next uh, Friday, Erev Pesach. We got to find out. I just assumed we're doing the weekly update. I don't know what time of day or night or afternoon we'll be uh, asking him to participate. We'll have to find out because I don't know what time zone he'll be in next week. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. is Erev Shabbos Haggadol with candle lighting at 6.55. 6.55 candle lighting time. Seven hour difference between us and the Holy Land as Israel is now on daylight saving time. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden. Spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. And now we got to figure out if we can, hmm, if we can get this audio <laughs> where it's supposed to be. And. There we go. And we say, good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. And wow, this Shabbos, well, first of all, the Shabbos, we have the privilege of reading Parshas Tzav, which according to the Chinuch has 18 mitzvos, and it lines up nine positive and nine restrictions. We are very much into the Korbanos still. This Shabbos has a distinction we know of being called Shabbos HaGodol. One or two reasons first why that is the case. So the rabbis tell us that firstly, the Torah that we read on the Shabbos before Pesach, coming from the last Navi, Malachi, concludes with, Himei Anochi Sholeach Lochem Es Anovi, the Navi promises us that I will send Elijah, Ilio Anavi, Lifnei Bo Yom Hashem HaGodol V'Hanorah. He is going to herald the coming of the Mashiach. Lifnei Bo Yom Hashem HaGodol. So since the Torah promises us about the future redemption called that great day, the Torah and the Shabbos takes on 
the name of Shabbos Hagodol. In addition, the rabbis tell us that the year that we left Mitzrayim, we left on a Thursday. The 15th of the month of Nisan was a Thursday. The 10th of the month was the day that we designated the Karban Pesach, the Paschal Lamb. We tied it to our bedposts in Egypt, and there was nothing less but an incredible miracle. The Egyptians heard the sheep and the lambs making their appropriate noise, being held near the bed. And they asked the Jewish people, what's going on? And the Jewish people said, we will slaughter your God in four days. And they were powerless to do anything. This was looked upon as a major miracle. And finally, the rabbis tell us that which we say in Hallel Hagado, the Mitzrayim Biv Chorehem, that God literally smote the Egyptian people with their firstborn. What does that mean? It means that Moshe warned that there would be the killing of the firstborn. All the firstborn in Mitzrayim petitioned Paro to let the Jewish people go. After all, nine plagues had already come and all of Israel had been spared. Egypt had been punished. The firstborn of Egypt were especially worried and there was nothing less than a civil war in Egypt on that day, on that Shabbos. So many things occurred on this day to give the day the designation of Shabbos Hagadol. And including tradition within the Jewish people is that the rabbi gives a lengthy drusha lecture on Shabbos Hagodol regarding the laws of Pesach and some of the specifics of the laws. And so just to remind everyone that there is the mitzvah of Bidikas Chametz, that we have to search for the Chametz. If you will be home for Pesach, or you'll be home in your house next Thursday night, the night of Erev Pesach, then you do the Bidika, the search, with a bracha. If you are leaving your home prior to Thursday night, you do the Bidika, the search, without a bracha. And the search should not be just one quick experience of zipping around the house and picking up the ten pieces of crumbs 
which by the way should be wrapped up and they should be small, so we're not leaving chametz around the house just in case we don't get all ten. Just remember that we stop eating chametz in this part, in New York area, please God, 1028 next Friday Erev Pesach and consult the um, various times wherever you live for the latest time of eating chametz, burning chametz, and I urge all who are listening to follow the practice of selling your chametz, designating your local rav to act as your agent to transfer your chametz to a non-Jew on your behalf. I'd like to spend this morning's program talking about an interesting aspect of the Seder, and that is as follows. There are today two biblical mitzvos that are unique to the night of the Pesach Seder. The first one being to eat matzah, and for that, by the way, try to get shmura matzah, matzah whereby the flour has been literally guarded, watched from the time of Ketzira, from the time that the wheat was cut, and for the Seder, try to get, be it hand shmura, machine shmura, matzah. That is one biblical mitzvah that we have today. The other biblical mitzvah that we have today is the mitzvah of Sipur Yitzias Mitzrayim, the mitzvah of telling the story. So whereas every night there is a mitzvah of Zechiras Yitzias Mitzrayim to remember the Exodus, and we do so in the Shema every evening. In the third paragraph, Ani Hashem Elokeichem, we acknowledge that God is the one, Asher Mitzrayim, who took us out of Egypt. Tonight, meaning on the night of the Pesach Seder, there is a mitzvah to elaborate in detail, as the Rambam writes, to tell in length the mitzvos and the miracles which took place on this night, the night of the 15th, the night of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. So my question is, why do we not make a bracha on this mitzvah? There is no bracha on Sipur Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, on the mitzvah to tell the story. And interestingly, there are those that say that the bracha that we recite at the conclusion of the Magid section, Asher Go'olonu, that that constitutes the bracha, we have the right to ask, after all, the Mishnah in Nida, Perik Vav, Mishnah Yud, the Mishnah teaches that wherever you have a bracha, la'acharav, afterwards, to'un bracha lefanav, 
also should have a bracha before. So why do we not have a bracha before the recitation of the Haggadah? And I'd like to suggest several answers. So interestingly, just know that the Imre Emes, the Ger Rebbe, Zechad Tzadik Levracha, what he did was as follows. Many Batei Kinesios say Hallel in Shul this coming Friday night. We say Hallel with a bracha, because we're going to say Hallel at home without a bracha. At home we're going to split the Hallel, first two paragraphs before the meal, the rest of the Hallel after the meal. So the Imre Emes had in mind, when he recited the bracha, Vitsivanu, Al, Lekroas HaHalel, the bracha before the Halel, he had in mind that this would include not just the Halel, but please God, the Sipur Yitzias Mitzrayim that was going to follow. There are those that say, as is brought down in the name of the Rajbah, that because this is a mitzvah, she'inlo kitzvah, which has no exact beginning and end. Well, after all, cholamarbe, as we say in the Haggadah, hareza meshubach, whoever tells more and elaborates, it is more praiseworthy. And therefore, we might make a bracha on the Megillah, because that is confined. Ten chapters of Megillah's Esther. But something which has no really set boundaries, therefore, perhaps that would be a reason why we do not recite a bracha. Now, I'd like to share with you a very interesting idea suggested by the Orsa Meach, and that is as follows. That... Interestingly, the mitzvah of Sipur Yitzias Mitzrayim is not only fulfilled by articulation and speaking about the uh, events in Egypt, but rather the Sipur is a company, if you wish, by props or by mitzvahs. In other words, we eat the matzah. And not only do we eat the matzah, but Rabbi Gamliel Hoya Omer, as we say in the, towards the conclusion of the Magid section, and by the way, this is probably the most important part of the Magid section, Rabbi Gamliel would say, Koshalo Omar, whoever did not recite Shlosha Devarim, Eliba Pesach, whoever didn't explain these three phenomena on Pesach, they did not fulfill their obligation. And what are the three? The Pesach, Matzah, and Moror. Now which obligation did they not fulfill if they don't explain these three? So the Rambam understands it's the obligation of Sipur Itzias Mitzrayim, that you must in order to fulfill the mitzvah, explain the mitzvahs of the night, namely 
we had the Korban Pesach, and we will, the Mitzvah of Matzah, and the Mitzvah of Moror. The Ran and Tosfos understand, you do not satisfy your obligation of Matzah and Moror unless you explain it. So we see that accompanying the Sipur is literally the fulfillment of the mitzvah, the mitzvah of matzah and the mitzvah of moror. And therefore, I'd like everybody to realize that when we are privileged at the Pesach Seder to recite the bracha on the matzah, we are not only reciting a bracha on the matzah, but included in that bracha is a bracha for sipur. Because the matzah that we're eating is an integral part, we're acting out the sipur. When we eat the moror, and we make a bracha, alachilas moror, included in that bracha is not only the bracha for bitter herb, but included in that bracha is Sipu Yitzias Mitzrayim. And so too, when we recite the brachos for the Arba Kosos, included in this is this aspect of Yitzias Mitzrayim. The Sipur, the story is being acted out through the mitzvos. And therefore, you might say, we have many brachos which, to, which include or refer to the Sipur. The Hassam Sofer suggested something very sharp in his drasha for Pesach in Shnas Tovkuf Pei, and he suggests the following. Why don't we make a bracha beforehand? Because just like the Geir, a convert who goes to the mikvah, he cannot recite the bracha he was commanded to immerse prior to immersing because he's not yet Jewish. He goes down, comes up. After he's immersed, he is now Jewish, having been circumcised, having accepted upon himself the mitzvot. Then he makes the bracha and goes down again. Says the Chassam Sofer, very sharp, just as the Rambam writes, we're to look upon ourselves as if we left Egypt. Avodimoyinu, we were slaves, and God took us out. That is the one fulfillment of the Haggadah. And then comes Metchila, which means that we speak about originally we were idolaters. And God took us up, and Baruch Hashem gave us His Torah. So we cannot recite a bracha, says the Chassam Sofer, because at the beginning of the Seder we are reenacting our state prior to our being proud Jews, and therefore in that state we were not able to make a bracha. Wow, a very interesting addition to our coming to this Seder to actually try to relive it. I think the message is very, very powerful. 
And that is, the Seder represents a incredible transformation, be it physical, from slave to aristocrat, be it spiritual, from idolator to not just a monotheist, but one who is uplifted by God's divine commandments. These beautiful thoughts, if we take them into our Seder, as we sit down, we say to ourselves, Ashrenu Matov Chalkenu, how indeed privileged we are to be able, in Hashem, one week from tonight, to have this opportunity of having dinner with no less than Hashem Himself. Shabbat Shalom to all.
Brand new from your Achmiel Begun Miami Boys Choir. It's called Ut Ut. That's the title track here at JM in the AM. And we'll, of course, speak to your Achmiel this upcoming week about the brand new album and his big plans for Chol Hamoid. JM in the AM at 14 minutes before 9 o'clock on this Friday morning. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Tzav, Erev Shabbos HaGadol. Thanks for joining us. And a big thank you to Mayor Fertig for sitting in yesterday after our programming from uh, Israel. Much appreciated. Uh, that's for sure. And uh, I thank him for that. Candle lighting time on this era of Shabbos HaGadol, 6.55. 6.55 official candle lighting time. Israel is now a seven-hour difference. They're now on daylight saving time. Keep that in mind. Uh, rain this morning, although it looks like it may have let up a bit finally. High temperature of 51. Clouds tonight, 36. Tomorrow, clouds with a high temperature of 40 on Shabbos HaGadol, believe it or not. <laughs> J.M. in the A.M. with the great Ben Sion Schenker. Ra 
91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Thanks for listening around the world at jmtheam.org. Thanks for listening at the NSN Nahum Single Network app. Thanks to those who comment on the app during our show. It's much appreciated. You can comment. Just go to the NSN app. You can comment as the show goes on uh, uh, right here on this uh, on this era of Shabbos. It's right there on the home page, home screen of the app which is pretty cool. Reminder, Naomi Nachman is next. The video will be up at NachumSiegel.com on the homepage. You could uh, see and hear Naomi on our stream with another incredible show entitled Table for Two. Uh, she's going to be welcoming some special guests today in order to um, get everybody ready for the Pesach holiday. And in a moment, I'll tell you who those guests are. <laughs> Naomi Nachman today with... Uh, Table for two, she'll speak with Shifra Klein of Joy of Kosher Magazine, Elizabeth Kurtz of GourmetKosherCooking.com, Shmili Grunstein, the owner of Petite Shell, according to Naomi, a smashing new coffee and croissant house on the Upper East Side. There'll be a food tasting, demo with Shifra, and plenty more, all happening between 9 and 10 this morning. Then a big thank you to our friends at Kedem as they present our uh, incredible Erev Shabbos music mix for an Erev Shabbos Agadol that happens from 10 a.m. until candlelighting time all the way until 6.55 later today, which is pretty remarkable. 
Uh, make sure to be tuned in no matter where you are. Phone in the car, um, computer at home, laptop, iPad, whatever method you use, make sure to tune in. There is no way that there's a better way to go into Shabbos HaGadol than with our Erev Shabbos music stream. Simple as that. goes all the way from 10 a.m. until candle lighting time. Tune in and enjoy. 42 degrees, some rain today, and a high temperature of 51. The low 36 tonight, 40 for tomorrow. Could you imagine? Unbelievable. My thanks, everybody, who made our incredible programs from Israel so wonderful. I thank you for a great trip and a wonderful broadcast. Thanks to Mayor Fertig, who sat in yesterday, and good to be back here on this Friday morning. Next week, Pesach product show, Cholamoid activities, lots going on before we hit the holiday of Pesach next Friday night. Time to say good Shabbos on this Erev Shabbos HaGadol with Journeys at JM in the AM. It's shining through the trees Another week's gone by Become a memory So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find the gift That's waiting Say good job Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Man and his creator, it's a very special sign will be burning They'll fill your home with light Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find a gift That's waiting there 
of Israel, Nachim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Big thank you to everybody who made our fundraising marathon 2015 such a major success. I want to thank those who've been who've been paying up their pledges and responding to our mail. It is uh, much appreciated. And again, thanks for helping us achieve our goal and get to the magic number of 250,000 just after, literally hours after we left the air last Friday morning uh, after our great celebration. So thank you all very, very much. We keep the programming going. Naomi Nachman is next with the table for two. You can see the whole thing at com and hear everything at jmnam.org. And then the um, presentation of our incredible Arab Shabbos Music mix for this Erev Shabbos HaGadol all the way until candlelighting time. Tune in to Avrami tomorrow night with Saturday Night Siegel and our great lineup on Saturday night. Tune in to Mat this Sunday morning for JM Sunday beginning at 7 a.m. Lots of great material all weekend long. Have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend. Till Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.